Entering the Freedom Hut. Stop the stupid mask mania. MSNBC shaming bystanders backfires. Twitter fact checks Trump. A gut-wrenching arrest in Minnesota. And should we see the Flynn Kizilyak transcripts of those phone calls? Coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show on this uh, lovely Wednesday, May 27th of the 20th year after the 20 that starts at the beginning of the second millennium. Great to be here with you today. Thank you so much. We have so we have work to do. It will be fun. It will be educational. It will be interesting. But we have work to do to get through so many different news stories. And uh, also, it's becoming even more clear than it ever was before that what we face is a a political fight now more than a fight against a virus. Uh, We had in New York, and I I just focused in on it because I know the numbers are the best because this is where I am, and this is also the worst place in the entire country for COVID. This is the worst hit place, as you know, everyone knows. We had about 200 admissions to the hospital yesterday for COVID-19. We had about 97 people, I think it was, uh, or no, sorry, 70-something people it was who died. And that, my friends, is where we are right now in the worst part of the country for COVID-19. And yet we are seeing all of these moronic plans for how they're going to restrict the reopening, how they're going to limit our ability to go about our daily lives as if now they walk around as if the virus has declined because of their great policies. Oh, because we listened to them, because we obeyed them. I want to be very clear for those that engage in the mask virtue signaling right now. Well, there's so much of it going on. People who are outdoors, there is not. Find me one peer-reviewed, serious, scientific study out there. One that says that mask-wearing outdoors is a sensible precaution against COVID-19 or any respiratory uh, virus for people who are just going about their daily lives. And, and I will correct myself on air and say, oh, looks like there, there is a real reason for this. Because if you just go back, I'm not saying go back in history. Oh, go back 100 years. Go back 10 years. No, no. Go back a few months. Go back a few months and you will see that they were far less able to uh, justify these policies, to tell us that we have to do this. Uh, Mark, we have, we have Fauci uh, telling us that, you know, wearing a mask is not really that important. Play the clip. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better and it might even block a, a droplet but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course, of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers needing them and people who are ill. 
So that was earlier this year. The foremost expert from the NIH on infectious disease, Dr. Fauci, saying, come on, don't be, don't be a clown. Don't walk around with a mask on outside. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. That doesn't make any sense. What, what have we learned from then to now that has changed? Have we seen, oh, no, we, we panicked. We freaked out as a country. We locked down. We were told to wear masks weeks and weeks into it after there had already been tremendous spread. And now we have an assumption that masks were necessary. Masks protected us. Masks saved lives. Uh, Governor Cuomo will tell you that um, a mask can save somebody else's life. And there's no evidence for that. But he doesn't want to give you the freedom in New York to make that determination for yourself. It is outrageous what's going on right now. The, the exploitation of public fear and the political tribalism that has gripped this country. The exploitation of anti-Trump insanity for purposes of political mobilization. What has been going on is really, truly astounding and, and frightening. Uh, that's what we that's what is tied into all of this now. How else? I'm not finding some random expert here. How did Fauci, who's worked for this? Let's be very clear. This is what this guy's whole life's work has been for decades and decades. <clears throat> and in the in the early stages of a pandemic, he's telling you what we know to be true, which is, you know, look, a mask. It does not actually seal air from getting into your mouth. It, it doesn't stop droplets from getting into your eyes or from people still touching their faces. So don't wear them out. And we've gone from that to just last night, the same Dr. Fauci, same guy. Remember, there's no study. There's no new evidence to point to from what he said that I just played for you to now. But now he's telling you that, you know, yeah, it's a symbol. Wear a mask as a symbol. Play 20. Do you think when folks, uh, members of the public, are being asked to do this, and they look at folks like you doing it, does that encourage its use to to to, to a positive degree? No, it does, Jim. And I mean, I wear it for the reason that I believe it is effective. It is. It's not a hundred percent effective. I mean, it's sort of respect for another person and have that other person respect you. You wear a mask. They wear a mask. You protect each other. I mean, I do it when I'm in the public for, for the reasons that, A, I want to protect myself and protect others, and also because I want to make it be a symbol for people to see that that's the kind of thing you should be doing. And when I walk around the street in the neighborhood where I live in Washington, D.C., which still has a considerable number of infections, it's very clear that many people are doing that. A, a symbol of what? Here you saying it should be a symbol. A symbol of what? Of, of your respect for other people? No, it's a mask. It's uncomfortable. It's annoying. And it's a form of social control now. This is now you must submit. This is the government's way of forcing people to bend the knee after the ineptitude and stupidity of our government o- uh, overlords at all levels on this issue has been all too clear. Now that now they tell us, oh, you must wear a mask because it shows your respect. Respect for whom? I, I don't I don't have some deep and abiding respect for the public health authorities. I think they're a bunch of morons. What did they do to save lives here? Find me the Fauci clip saying, hey, hey, 
we, we, we really got to focus not on masks, but on seniors. Where was that? That was obvious from the early stages. The skeptics of the lockdown consensus, whom I've had, some of whom I've had on this show, and, and I, I was one. In fact, I, I was dragged, dragged in the weeks before uh, Easter when the president had said that he wanted to get us to a reopen, and he was right, and that was the right move. And gosh darn it, his public health authorities, Fauci and Burks and the others, they pushed him, they pushed him off, that, off that decision, and that was wrong. Now, it's, ultimately, that's on Trump, and I think he knows. He'll never admit a mistake, but I think he knows that the, the two weeks to get everybody geared up and ready for what was coming, that 15 days I still think was acceptable in, in extremis. I don't think we should ever do it again, but 15 days, you know, once every 100 years, it feels like, okay, maybe we could do this. The extension beyond that was wrong. And now we're seeing plummeting infections. Uh, I'm sorry, plummeting hospitalizations. And this is also where the, where the data is so important and the way that it's misused. You know, there's, there's a Pew graph right now, you know, the Pew polling company, a graph going around showing, well, looks like the blue states are showing the red states how it's done because they're. Their number of, of cases is going down more dramatically than the red states. Yeah, that's because the blue states in, in the worst cases on the graph are like Mount Everest and K2. And the red states are overwhelmingly like a little hill that you would let your kid ride a tricycle over. So it's a lot harder for a dramatic decline from a very already low number than a dramatic decline from a far too high number. This is obvious stuff. What is Pew doing? Well, there is so much in the way of politics um, behind all of this. And also, as we know, there's a lot of power at stake. So numbers are being abused and misused in ways you have to be on guard for. Another very important metric uh, that that you well one is very important and the other is being very misused. The important metric is hospitalizations. COVID nineteen for people who are asymptomatic is not a big deal. If you go to the hospital with COVID nineteen, you could be at substantial risk, and that's serious. So new cases period is not indicative of the of the disease becoming a bigger threat or getting worse. If anything, new cases results in better and, and more improved access to testing. Notice how you've heard a lot less about testing, testing, testing. Nancy Pelosi, hey, we have to we have to test to get out of you know, you know, drinking a Chardonnay right before she goes on TV. We have to test before. Uh, notice how you don't hear much about it anymore. Do you know why that is? Because we're not even using the testing capacity that we currently have. We, we have a capacity that is at one level. We have usage far below that. And they keep saying, oh, my gosh, unless we get testing to 10 times that, we're all going to die. What are they talking about? I, you know, I, I know a lot of people in New York, and the only people I know have gotten COVID tests have had to for a work reason, someone like me going to the White House, for example, or if they were really sick. I, I don't know anyone here in the epicenter of the COVID outbreak who's like, yeah. You know, I'm just kind of bored. I'm going to go get a COVID test, make sure. Because remember the COVID. Now, serology tests to make sure makes sense. Active infection tests, people aren't going to do that. Ah, but you see, they create the perception of testing is necessary to keep us safe. And then they can follow on with the regulations. Remember, you're going to hear me say it a lot. This is all about making the voluntary mandatory. 
<clears throat> this is all about taking what they say is just a helpful suggestion today. And then tomorrow it's do this or else do this or else. Fauci says it as clearly as it can be said. It's a, it's a symbol now. It's a symbol of taking care of other people. No, no, well, I don't I don't want to wear a symbol around my face. It's hot outside. I haven't had enough fresh air. I haven't enough sunlight. Millions and tens of millions of people just like me are sick of this. We're sick of the threat of possibly getting sick, ruining our lives. And yet now we're told wear a mask to show your respect. Oh, it almost feels like I'm supposed to, you know, kiss the ring of Fauci and Cuomo and Newsom and Governor Murphy in New Jersey and and oh, oh, the, the latest now in Virginia. Remember, the, the, the problem of COVID-19 is going down in states across the country. But in Virginia now, Governor Northam, he of I'm not sure I was in the blackface or the KKK robe infamy. That guy has now made masks in public mandatory, too. It's basically June. Now they're making masks mandatory. Well, if it was so obvious, why weren't masks mandatory week one, people? Just apply logic. These people are morons. They're trying to tell you what to do. They're insisting you do as they say, or else they're going to fine you, arrest you, shut down your business, maybe even kick you out of your home. I just, after the show yesterday, I just, I just got a notification. I'm not yet sure if it was just to me or to the whole building. But it was a notification for management where I live in New York that, you know, a reminder of Cuomo's executive order, you know, one, two, seven, nine, five or whatever it is that you have to wear masks in public places. So you, sir, to me, must wear a mask in the lobby. I don't want to wear a mask in the lobby. If the test and trace program says that you only have to worry about 10 minutes or more, I'm in my I'm in my lobby of my building in New York for less than 10 seconds. Someone's really going to get infected by me in less than 10 seconds. If that was the case, we're, we're all going to get infected 100% guaranteed no matter what. So stop your worrying. But that's not, that's not the case. So why do I have to wear a mask? Oh, but, but uh, now it's a policy. Now it's building policy because it's government policy. It's not private sector making this decision. It's the public sector pushing the private sector under pain of fines and shutdown. Also got a note saying that at my gym, yeah, we're, we're planning to open in three weeks, which is still stunning how long they're, they're waiting on this. Planning to open in three weeks, but just want to make sure you all know that you're going to have to work out with masks on. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, what? I'm going to be, I mean, you know, I'm going to be deadlifting like, uh, like a little old lady because I haven't been able to lift weights in months now. But, you know, I'm going to be deadlifting or I'm going to be benching or whatever, and I got to have a mask. I'm going to be on the treadmill or the rowing machine with a mask on? What if I'm in there by myself? Oh, no. No masks, no workout. That was, that was the, uh, the word that I got. This is stupid. It's wrong. It's wrong. This is, this is tyranny now. This is tyranny. This is not something we should accept. And I think that we're going to have to get organized resistance against this. I know they've ruined the word resistance forever now. But we're going to have to have a pushback that goes beyond just complaining about the stupidity of this. This is not rooted in the science. This is rooted in control. There are people who psychologically and emotionally and politically, ideologically, they're obsessed with controlling other people. And we call them liberals, which is quite a misnomer. Libs, leftists. And this is now a huge opening for them, a huge opportunity, and they are seizing it. They want to control you. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Okay, so the president was speaking at an event on protecting the health of seniors. And you know what? If he really cared about seniors, he would encourage people to wear masks to save the lives of those seniors who make up a large portion of the coronavirus deaths. But this president would rather mock a reporter. He would rather mock Joe Biden for doing what doing what every American has been doing. Most Americans have been, do, been doing the right thing, and that is wearing a mask, mocking him for being a real man, unlike the president, and doing what he should be doing. Listen to all the sanctimony from the man that, that President Trump rightly describes as the dumbest person on TV, certainly the dumbest host. I wouldn't say the dumbest person, but... For a major network anchor, uh, Don Lemon is is very high up in the in the uh, stupidity contest. Uh, look, the president called him out, and that's why he hates him now forever. I mean, Don Lemon hates the president because this president wasn't afraid to say Don Lemon's a moron. So there's that. But masking uh, people now, you know, people wearing masks uh, is somehow all of a sudden an obvious and necessary thing. How do we get to this transition? Where, where is the the evidence that this is necessary? You know, we went from social distancing, sh- social distancing, no masks. Social distancing didn't work all that well. Remember, we were in social distance for over a month, and there were still a lot of people getting sick and a lot of people dying. And while we were in social distance quarantine, which is even more, right, while we were in mass house arrest, in New York, 66% of the new cases they had for a while, a couple of weeks ago, going to the hospital were people who had stayed home. Forget about masks and social distancing. They, have, they don't really know how to stop the spread of this. That's what they won't admit to you. So instead, they just use it as an opportunity to get you to bend the knee. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know that the masking is political because of the way that it has now become an item to show off on social media. Explain this to me, someone. Why would someone change their photo on, and I mean journalists and, and politicians, and why would they change the photo of their face that is the representation of who they are to update it with a photo of a mask so you can't even really see them. It's a stupid thing to do. And I know people have done it on the right, too, but some people think they've bought into the this is what is helping, this is making us safer. You know, if you're in the government, you don't want to get in trouble. You don't want to deal with the heat from, you know, the the left-wing Twitter mobs and everything else. But for most of the people that are doing this, Sometimes there can be mixed motivations. I understand that. But for most of the people who are doing this, this is like showing off. Joe Biden now has as his uh, photo on Twitter, his avatar, right? The photo that is the the primary online representation of him. Uh, And, you know, and he's got five point five million followers on Twitter. All right. And his main photo now has. A mask. He's got a big mask on. It's a terrible look. But this has become politicized. Understand that this is now a political statement. The mask is the anti-MAGA hat of 2020. 
You have to understand this now if you don't already. That's what this has become. It's a rallying cry. It's a symbol of anti-Trumpism for journos. Now, before people start saying really stupid things like, whoa, what about doctors who wear masks? Yeah, of course. Doctors should wear masks. Nurses should wear masks. People indoors with at-risk relatives or friends can take that additional layer of precaution But that's up to them. It should be a choice because you're really not giving yourself that much of a better a better shot. But you're also not really that that at high risk. A vast majority of people don't have the disease. So you're wearing a mask sitting there. What what your 99 percent of people are going to be sitting there with a mask on across from, say, their elderly relatives or elderly friends or whatever it may be. And everyone in the room is free of covid-19. But everyone's going to be wearing a mask because. Now, I'm not saying that that's I around high risk people would be willing to wear a mask. That's a concession I would make because I'm looking at the risk and the, uh, the, the risk I'm willing to take under the circumstances and the limited circumstances of of being around people that are at high risk. But I'm being told, go outside, wear a mask, work out, wear a mask in the elevator, wear a mask in the lobby, wear a mask. This is insane. But now we all understand what's going on here. The mask is the anti-MAGA hat of 2020. You know that's the case. You see it. That's why Joe Biden's avatar now has a mask on him. He does look, he looks like one of Sauron's minions chasing Frodo across the Shire or whatever. I mean, he looks like, uh, looks like the, the character, you know, Hades from Greek mythology brought to life in some kind of updated television drama. I mean, it's, not a good look. And I, I also really I, I really disapprove as a general as a general matter of shrouding people's identities in public. Uh, I think that it's easier to view each other uh, negatively and as objects. I think I think human to human connection, being able to see people's faces is really important. You know, you go back to the old and I don't even know if this is really the origins of it, but everyone believes it is. So it might as well be the origins. You know, the salute comes from uh, chivalry and lifting your visor so that the knight uh, that you were seeing, and again, maybe this is not technically, but this is what everyone believes. So if it's uh, some kind of urban legend, it's a very, very powerful one, but you lift your visor so the other knight can see who you are. Understanding, seeing, and processing someone else's visual identity as a human being is important. It's one of the reasons why, what do they do That's right. I'm going to go there. What do they do in repressive, totalitarian, Islamist societies in order to uh, in order to hold down and oppress women and and as well as men, but in in a different way. Right. They insist on women covering, cover up and not just cover up. Uh, a little bit, I cover their face, put on a, fa- a full face veil. You know, you go to Afghanistan. That's about control. When you when you take away someone's ability to be seen and to feel that connection with other human beings face to face and their identity and the visualizations that you take in one's expressions, all of this, a, a sense of, of the shared humanity that we have that comes from this. When you take that away, it's so much easier to objectify someone and to otherize someone. So now I, I, I've just got to say, 
That we've already established in repressive Islamist societies. And now we're all being told to go out in public all the time and everyone has to wear a mask. And it's eerie and it's unacceptable. Out in public, in open air, mask wearing is dumb and it's wrong. It's about control. I'm not going to change my mind on this. I would need clear, irrefutable scientific evidence that it really dramatically reduces transmission. Doesn't exist. This evidence doesn't exist. And... And that we are at substantial risk from this disease, which if you look at the numbers right now, also, if you are under the age of 60, does not exist unless you have substantial comorbidities. Uh, and if you look at where we are in this, at this point in the year, uh, there's a reason why there's far fewer flu cases. There's a reason why there's far fewer COVID-19 cases. There's a seasonality to these uh, to these infections. I, I just, I don't understand how, I, there's some conservatives who are really weak on this, really wimpy. I don't get it. You know, there's some conservatives who are like, you know, I'll wear a mask as long as I have to wear a mask. Really? Because if, if, you, if you accept the left's premise here, um, and unfortunately also in the Trump era, there are a lot of people who have established, you know, big or even the biggest platforms they've ever had, or that now they have a big platform, they didn't have one before, or now they've, they've reached new heights. And they kind of just rode the Trump wave and, and got lucky. They're not their thoughts and certainly their ethics are not particularly or even a little bit worthwhile. And so it's this is a moment where you see who's really thinking about these issues and who's like, well, you know, Dr. Fauci says. So I'm going to listen to Dr. Fauci on this when I played the audio was was the Dr. Fauci from a few months ago saying that wearing masks is kind of dumb. I mean, it's not what he said, but that's basically what he said. Did that was that guy an idiot, not an expert? But now the guy today that's saying a mask is a symbol. That's he. That's the expert. Hmm. I would I would need an explanation of this, and just also then there's there's the politics of it, but then there's the the smug virtue signaling, the smug virtue signaling that is going on right now from particularly members of the media. This was. A delicious moment. MSNBC is full of um, nasty people. A lot of, lot of, lot of uh, social, social justice mob enraging or, you know, getting the mob all enraged on their behalf. Uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of beta males at MSNBC. A lot of pseudo intellectuals, people that believe that because, you know, you know, mom and dad who are both psychiatrists, you know, went to went to Brown University and and they also went to Brown University. So now we're all supposed to think that they're they're some kind of genius or a brilliant person or whatever. Um, they're idiots. I mean, the people over at MSNBC, they're the lack of intellectual rigor, not just in the news broadcasts and the commentary and everything. It, it's it's really a pathetic place in so many ways. And NBC is like, oh, we're just a news channel. MSNBC is for more of the opinion, but it's all the same, really. NBC just tries to soften the uh, the leftist edges a little bit. And I, I just love this moment. You had a reporter who's doing his now this is the other thing to you, you these reporters out in the open air wearing a mask. You will notice because it's public. My photo with the president. Am I wearing a mask? Is he wearing a mask? No. So practice what I preach. Oh, but but. I just took a COVID test 15 minutes before I saw the guy. So unless someone wants to explain 
how, you know, either our COVID tests don't work, which in which case, you know, what are we doing? Right. Or explain how I could in a, in a secure facility where everyone is being COVID tested. Uh, get COVID-19 in the span of, you know, 15 minutes and produce enough viral replication that I could give it to somebody else. It's scientifically impossible. Oh, but if I listen to the libs, I'm sure St. Fauci, if he saw that photo, you know, Bach should have been wearing a mask, you know, even just to show as a symbol of respect for others. What about respect for me? I don't mean in terms of the meeting with the president. I mean, in general, what about respect for those of us who don't want something, don't want something, you know, stifling us as we're outside trying to get some fresh air and get some sunlight, you know, out in the open air. I can stay six feet away from people. Stay. If, if you're a mask nut, stay the hell away from me. I'll stay away from you. What about respect for me? Oh, no, no. You, you got to wear the mask. Now, I know a lot of you are in places in the country where, look, I'm just going to say it. The sane, the sane people are going are, are gonna to leave. I've never before thought about New York as a place that I couldn't. People said, oh, buck the politics. Yeah, but the food's so good and there's so much to do and. You know, when you're a single guy, I'm just going to tell you the dating pool is the best in the world. And, you know, there's there's all that stuff. Um, not a single guy now, but when I was a single guy, you know, the dating pool was amazing. And, uh, you know, there's some reasons to be here. But right now, I, I, I think that this is just breaking a lot of us. Oh, wait, I, I've got to come back and this MSNBC reporter, though. Oh, boy, this is a good one. This really this is the most MSNBC thing you will ever see or ever hear. It's coming up. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Okay, so smug, sanctimonious, pseudo-intellectual libs congregate, work for, gather at MSNBC. That's a place where, I mean, I, I, I just, I don't respect the knowledge, the opinions. The, they put all these fake Republicans on TV. Oh, I used to work for the Bush administration and all I do is hate Trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. I hate Trump, but I'm a former Republican. They do this for the amusement of libs sitting on their couches at home. It's grotesque, these former Bush, you know, what I'm talking about, Nicole Wallace and other. Oh, it's grotesque. They do this. They sit there and they just trash Trump for the amusement of libs who hate everything that the so-called Republican pretended to stand for everything. But, hey, you know, if you, you got to dance for the right tune, they throw they throw enough uh, coins at you over at uh, MSNBC. Whoever whoever you are, former Republican Steve Schmidt. Yeah, you know, I'm on TV and I'm like, Trump is the worst, like literally worse than Hitler. But I worked on John McCain's campaign and I'm the, I'm the dumbest person on television. If you've never seen Steve Schmidt, I think my Steve Schmidt impersonation is spot on. But okay, here we go. We have MSNBC correspondent, you know, you know straight straight out of uh, Park Slope, Brooklyn, I'm sure. But here we go. MSNBC correspondent on TV. And here's how here's how this person, people on the street in Wisconsin, just going about their lives. And here's. Uh, what this person decides to do, start shaming people as they're passing on camera for not wearing a mask. Play it. So are the people there just not worried about it, Cal? Are they not worried about their own personal safety? 
I haven't met anybody who is. I met some folks actually from Lake Geneva who lived in the area. They were staying a few miles outside of town where I were, and they said they're worried about it. They're worried about that second spike. They're worried about folks coming in from Chicago, but they'll quickly add at the same time, this is a place that relies on that business. I think people here want a little bit more funding when it comes to these programs so that they could stay closed, but again, I think people felt like the Supreme Court made the decision here in Wisconsin that it was time to open up, but you can see here, just around. Nobody's wearing them. Nobody's. Uh, the cameraman. There you go, including the cameraman. Yeah. Katie. Striking images, Cal Perry. Striking images. I have to, I know it was very tough to hear that because it was an off mic comment. But just to to make it very clear, here's the. Oh, we're gonna. They panned around to show people and their faces unmasked, of course. Look at these people. Do they just not care? And Katie Tur, Katie Tur is, is an idiot. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually do. I've heard stories about how she ascended at MSNBC, but uh, I, I don't know why anybody would listen to this person talk about anything. But it is what it is. Uh, and, you know, here, here they're showing um, they're showing the passersby faces of the passersby people who are just individuals going about their days they're being shamed i mean this is this is real time national tv video look at this person doesn't care and one of them god bless him i love this wisconsinite and i I bet he's the guy's probably not even republican he's just not a lunatic he's like your camera guy is not wearing a mask and half of your crew is not wearing a mask are you are you showing them Notice how Katie Turr, oh, yes, a nice day. Oh, the weather must be warm out there. Okay, let's go to the next shot. Got to move right past that one. Perfect encapsulation of this. Perfect encapsulation of the mentality. These smug, pathetic, insecure libs, which is really, that, that is the MSNBC. That, that's what they have. That's what they're looking for over there. People that pretend to care so much about, oh, we care so much about about the poor and about minorities and about the working class, unlike those mean Republicans. Oh, and also, you know, the 37 genders that exist and all the other things, right? That, that's, that's what MSNBC is. Oh, you know. But do they have an answer for why was the camera guy not wearing a mask? Why was the crew not wearing a mask? If it's so important, if it's reckless, if you don't care about your safety unless you're wearing a mask, do they have an answer for you? No, of course not. Of course not. Uh, because they're frauds and they're hypocrites. The defining characteristic of the modern left is its hypocrisy. That is the one that is the the sin, the truth that it cannot escape. It's everywhere. The hypocrisy, just the rank and grotesque hypocrisy. And and remember that the people that were there walking past, they're in open air. The, the camera guy has to stand still for a long period of time. The, the crew is standing together, congregated for a long period of time. Do they not care about their safety? I also love when libs come after me on this one. They're like, oh, he's just sitting at home. I go out every day. I go in stores. I go everywhere I can. And I only wear a mask on pain of being ejected from the premises. But outside, I don't wear a mask. So I practice what I preach. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we have another very troubling arrest and the death of a black man at the hands of law enforcement that uh, certainly looks uh, beyond suspicious. It looks like it very well may be 
criminal. Now, I, I always preface this with uh, where, where I come from on these issues, and I think those of you who have been listening to me for a while know, even without me saying, that I respect, I have law enforcement in my family. I have worked as a civilian analyst with the NYPD in the past on terrorism cases, and I understand the job, and I know that 99% of cops want to do the right thing. There's a whole separate discussion we can have here about how many cops are enforcing the petty tyranny of the lockdowns at the behest of governors and mayors. But that's a different conversation from this one. This is very this is uh, a seriousness of, of imminent life and death when we're talking about use of force and the the uh, willingness of police to abuse the power they have. Remember, the the contract that we have with law enforcement is that when they when they show up anywhere and they say, you know, you are under arrest, you will comply and you will not be harmed and you'll be taken and have a have a fair judicial process and your rights will be respected throughout. If you resist, they will only use the bare minimum force necessary uh, to make you comply and then bring you into that judicial process. But if you don't pose a threat to them, our agreement with law enforcement and, and under the law, this, this is our expectation. If, if you don't pose a threat, they should be no threat to you. It's a very important underlying uh, position that we, we all should hold here when it comes to dealing with, with law enforcement. And I also will say that in, in there's a lot of times when there's a close case or I, I've, I remember when I was at the blaze. Um, I, I forget even what the year it was now. I was at the Blaze TV. That's right. I was there for the founding of the Blaze TV. Now it's a whole other thing with all these other people there. And, you know, some very nice people, some not so nice people at the Blaze. And uh, I was there at the founding. Anyway, I remember when the, the Mike Brown thing happened and I was saying, look, I, I'm sorry, but I don't I don't believe the story that we're being told by the media. And I always uh, was was respecting the position of Officer Darren Wilson because the facts supported his side of his side of the of the story. So I'm not somebody that jumps on these cases and says, oh, my gosh, you know, and there are a lot of conservatives that like to do a bit of virtue signal on this. Every time there's a headline about, you know, unarmed and it's, it has to be in this has to be uh, presented in this way. Unarmed black man killed by white police officer. That's the story. And every time that story comes up, there are some conservatives who say, oh, my gosh, without looking at the facts, without looking at the specifics, because, yes, there are times when with the hundreds of thousands of cops we have across the country, there are times uh, where an officer will out of rage or malice or whatever, kill somebody in a way that is illegal, clearly violates uh, that individual's right to life and and uh, and their their most basic, most fundamental right. And that does happen. But there are also a lot of cases where someone doesn't comply, won't do what they're told. You know, and this is true of person of any race, of any background, but they force the officers to escalate. And then when the escalation is happening, all of a sudden the cameras come out and we're told, oh, look at how terrible they're being. Well, you know, if, if, if officers show up at my home or show up uh, on the street and tell me, and look, I worry that someone's going to tell me, you know, put on a mask on the street, and I'm going to say, nah, I'm not going to do it. And one of the officers going to... Now, and the NYPD, to their credit, has said they will not enforce mask regulations. 
And this is unconstitutional. Can, I just want to know, can the governor tell me that I have to walk around in a chicken suit? Can the government tell me that, you know, can the, can the governor of New York tell me that I'm only allowed to wear, you know, purple on Tuesdays and neon green on Thursdays? What are the, you know, hey, you got to keep you safe. Want to make sure everyone's safe. Don't want you to get hit by a car, so let's have you wear really bright colors whenever you go outside all the time. Are there, are there any limits to the stupidity of these government regulations? I just, I wonder, but let's get back to what happened, what happened here. And this was up in, uh, this was up in Minneapolis. Uh, so some of you listening to this in the Minneapolis, Minneapolis area will, I'm sure, know the place names and details of this quite well. But you have four cops up in Minneapolis who were fired for uh, the death of George Floyd, 46 years old. And uh, it's this is an incident where there is a a video that shows and it's five minutes long. We're not going to play the full. Obviously, we wouldn't play a full five minute video. That's too long for air. Um, but we will play some key segments of it for you here. Now, Floyd was saying Floyd was arrested on suspicion of forgery. And I think that this also matters. You know, if if someone is being arrested because they they want them for three murders in gang related activity, I you know, you, you can understand the cops are going to be a little more jumpy, a little more on edge forgery. This guy is not this guy is not Al Capone. All right. So they they should be approaching this in a, with a different mindset. Now, I know I know it's it's easy to a lot of cops listen to stuff. They say, hey, come on, no Monday morning quarterback. How many and the cops used to say this to me sometimes in the NYPD. And we talk about these issues. You know, how many, uh, you know, violent crackheads have you ever wrestled to the ground outside of a, uh, a project somewhere? And the answer is I, I have I have not ever done that. So I do give some deference to law enforcement in that respect. When I say deference, I mean, I give them some leeway for, look, it's not going to be perfect. Wrestling someone to the ground is going to be an ugly thing. It's going to be an ugly thing. And sometimes it's necessary. But there are also limits. I, I, one of the pieces that I'm most proud of uh, having written at The Hill was of, uh, an, was of a takedown and a shooting of an individual in Arizona uh, officer Brailsford, I still remember his name off the top of my head. Officer Brailsford was the officer who was making these absurd demands, you know, crawl toward me with your legs crossed or I will shoot you. And he's screaming all this stuff. The guy had done nothing wrong, nothing illegal, didn't have a gun, nothing. But terrified the kid into a whimpering mess. And then with two long guns drawn on this kid, uh, they just they just they just blew him away. This young man. In, the, in a hallway of a building. There's a white guy, uh, blew him away in the hallway of a building in Arizona. I bring up there's a white guy because guess what? You probably didn't hear very much about that case because it didn't fit in the CNN narrative. That was, that was murder. That was police. And he, the district attorney brought murder charges to his credit, but uh, that was a, a murder. So sometimes cops, and the cops will say there are perps in uniform too. So, okay, let's, let's get into the specifics here of this George, uh, George Floyd case. So he's on the ground. The video is very clear. You have an officer with a knee on the back of his neck. And here is what and this is all on video. Here is what George Floyd is saying at that point. Play clip two. Please, 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 I can't breathe. Please, man, please, man. 
This is horrific. And I know that's it's tough to it's tough to listen to, but people need to hear it. You need to know if you're going to have an opinion on this case, you need to know what was being said and what was being done here. Uh, This is a man who is subdued, who is handcuffed, who is on the ground, who has a knee on the back of his neck, not on the back of his shoulder. Not the small of his back, the back of his neck. It's all on video. It's quite clear. He's saying, I can't breathe. Now, this is going to have obvious connections to the Eric Garner case here in New York City, where an officer uh, put Eric Garner. Eric Garner said, I'm not getting arrested today, which is not allowed. You don't get to say, I'm not getting arrested today. So then he gets he gets brought down to the ground. But the. That that initial exchange and the force used caused him to have, for, for, as, as I remember, I haven't gone back and read, read the specific autopsy of the case, but it have a, effectively respiratory failure. The guy had um, a, a heart attack and was unable to breathe. Now, he wasn't slowly choked to death over the course of five minutes, again, going on memory. Uh, but in this instance... George George Floyd is being slowly asphyxiated. And that seems apparent from the video. And even bystanders, to their credit, are saying, hey, cops, come on, the guy the guy can't breathe. You have other human beings who are showing up here saying that's a human being you have on the ground. You know, that's someone's son. That's someone's dad. And he's and he's clearly in duress and cannot breathe. What? Are these cops at this point thinking what is going through their heads? I have to wonder. There are some cops, unfortunately. I remember there are cops who get into this because I mean, and get into law enforcement because they want to protect people. And unfortunately, there are cops who get into it because they like authority. They want to bully people. I've come across both. I've known both. They exist. Some cops are bullies. Some cops like that. You know, they got a badge and a gun. You got to do what they say. I've come across it plenty. I've also come across cops who, you know, are the reason that you and I can walk around the streets and that our loved ones are safe at night, you know, on the streets. And so I I get it from both. And that's 90, 90 percent of them. I would just that's my that's a night. But there's about 10 percent who are jerks and who look, it's true in any industry. You know, I mean, in media, 90 percent of us are jerks and 10 percent of us are decent human beings. Um, But but back to this case and what we're seeing here. You have this man being slowly asphyxiated. And then you have more people who show up and who are saying, well, hold on a second. You know, I have um, I have a background in this. Bystanders start yelling, hey, I'm a first responder. You got to check his pulse. Hey, this guy's in real duress. What are you? And the cops are just staring at them, staring them down. I don't want to hear it from you, civilians. Uh, these these civilians seemed completely reasonable, rational, and they were they were right. Play clip three. How long y'all gotta hold him down? 
This is why you don't do drugs, kids. It ain't about drugs, bro. Y'all understand that? Nah, y'all don't gotta put y'all in his neck, bro. Right. He is human, bro. His nose. But I'm saying you can put him in the car. We tried that for 10 minutes. That, that woman's correct. Why? Why? I mean, the guy's bleeding through his nose. He's clearly having trouble breathing. He's yelling. He's begging. You know, you can't take the knee off his neck and, and just let him get some air. You know, if you take the knee off the back of his neck, you try to let him get some air. And he, you know, stands up and starts trying to bite people or headbutt them or gets violent and, you know, starts start kicking at them or doing whatever. You know, OK, then you get to you know, I, I But you got to give him the chance to breathe. You know, you got to give him the chance to breathe. And he's got his hands behind his back. So, you know, how he's, you know, there are ways, but there's still ways that a person can be dangerous. I mean, my uncle's a cop. I know, you know, he's people will spit. They'll 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 kick. They'll bite. They'll do headbutt all kinds of things. Right. And they'll be a danger to you. And I get that. But this guy's on the ground and he is he is completely is prone. He is handcuffed. You got your knee on his neck. What are you doing? Come on, cops. What are the cops here doing? And people are saying he can't breathe. He can't breathe. And they're just not, you know, all that all that it takes here is for that one officer with a knee on the back of his neck to just release that pressure. Let this man get some air. Let those lungs fill up with air. And you got a human being who's going to see another day. Cops aren't doing it, though. Play clip four. Look at him. Yeah, he died. He died. Uh, the cops have all been fired from their jobs. Look, everyone is entitled to due process and the presumption of innocence. Uh, these cops should face charges and there should be a full investigation. And it certainly looks like they may be, based on what we see here, they may be guilty of involuntary manslaughter. That's what it looks like to me. And uh, we, we have to call out police abuse where it exists. Maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe he had a pre-existing condition that was exacerbated and it wasn't the additional use of force. That is possible. That seems unlikely to me. I'm not there. I don't have the police reports yet. But we as a society have to have these conversations. Uh, this looks like manslaughter. They killed the guy because they didn't want anyone around them challenging their authority. And they suppressed that piece of all of us as human beings that we would want to do what is necessary to protect a human being like this who is in duress and desperate for air. It's a tough thing to watch, but we have to call. We, uh, look, I, I love our cops as much as anybody. We have to hold the bad ones accountable. This looks bad. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. This man's life matters. He matters. He was someone's son someone's family member 
was someone's friend. He was a human being and his life mattered. Whatever the investigation reveals, it does not change the simple truth that he should be with us this morning. I believe what I saw and what I saw was wrong at every level. Being black in America should not be a death sentence. For five minutes, we watched as a white officer pressed his knee into the neck of a black man. For five minutes. When you hear someone calling for help, you are supposed to help. This officer failed in the most basic human sense. The mayor is, is correct on that point. There was clearly a failure here. And he was also correct with everything he said at the start about how this, uh, this is a man whose life matters. He has loved ones and he should be with us today. That is all true as well. We will see where this case goes. We'll continue to follow it going forward. Uh, I do think that you can expect this will, this will grow. Uh, this may be one of those cases that becomes more of a national symbol. And uh, unlike the Mike Brown case, for example, which became a, an enormous national symbol, uh, for the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, with that, that case or that situation was presented uh, untruthfully. That, that situation was lied about. Uh, this situation looks, it looks egregious, which means that it could be an even more, uh, it, it could be even more of a symbol and, and, and become a part of a bigger movement. We'll see. We'll see where it is. Uh, but I, I did, you know, the work, we're going to talk about cops being heroes on the show. And when cops end up as the bad guys, whether it's Comey or it's these guys in this case, we'll talk about that, too. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. When voters go to the polls in November and they want to judge the president on his response to this pandemic, what is the number of dead Americans that they should tolerate as ha and where they can argue that, yes, he successfully defeated the pandemic? I think, um, you know, you're asking the wrong question. The right question is, where did where did That's the data... And I answered your question once, but if you ask it twice, it doesn't make it any better of a question. So I'll respond in kind. I've given you one answer. I'll continue to extrapolate upon that that he always listened to the science. The president, when Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burke said, you need to shut down the economy, that was hard for the president. You know, in a typical year, 120,000 people die of suicide and drug overdose. It's in a typical year. And doctors have said, uh, when you shut down an economy for an extended period of time, that number gets greater. People don't show up for their cancer diagnoses. Uh, there are a litany of, of results when you close down an economy. But closing down the economy for this amount of time kept us far below the 2.2 million number. And as we start to reopen, we keep in mind the people who are missing their screening appointments, the people um, who are not, who are succumbing to suicide and drug overdose because of economic hardship. This president made the right choice. Uh, it was a delicate balance, and he did it exactly as he should, guided by data. And we are far below 2.2 million dead Americans because of the actions of President Trump. Yes, Kaylee McEnany, my old friend, just crushing lips crushing the fraudulent lib journos all over the place. I think yesterday I might have promoted on the show, and this happens to me sometimes because I get so into a topic and I'm so excited to talk to you all every day. It's the highlight of my day. It truly is every day. I mean, even producer Mark knows. I'm grumpy, 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 late, need my coffee, black rifle, obviously. And, uh, you know, I'm, and then all of a sudden I get to talk to you guys and it's like, okay, well, this is good now. 
But everything before and after can, can kind of be crappy, especially in quarantine. But talking to all of you is the highlight of my day. And uh, that means that sometimes I get a little overexcited and forget when I'm like, you know, blah, 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 at the top of the show. And I'm telling you what we're going to talk about. There was this article. Mark, did I did I discuss yesterday the guy who used to be the president of CBS News? Uh, I no, I don't I, believe you did. Yeah, I don't think I did. Yeah, see, and Mark has to make sure that all the all the, the things that I, you know, am juggling, that they actually stay in the air and don't crash into a million pieces on the ground, which you can imagine what that's like. So... He is uh, the the Archimedes to my Merlin the Wizard, for those of you that like the sort of... Actually, you do have some Archimedes-like tendencies. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment. Who? Who? What? 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 Boy? Boy? I see no boy. You've never seen the old sword in the stone in Disney? No. Do you have Disney Plus? I do. I think you would like it. All right, it's maybe I'll have to watch it. It's a cartoon, but it's it's huh. well done. I was going to say I'm, I'm the teller to your pen. See, I don't know enough. You know, I've interviewed uh, Penn, and he's an, he's actually a pretty gregarious guy. Um, but I I have never seen their show. Is it good? Uh, I used to watch the uh, Showtime show that I cannot say the name of on the radio. Ah. Uh, I enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen their act, but I I, I like the show. Ah, okay. Well, um, I would also, I would just tell everybody then that uh, there was this article that was written in the, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, because uh, this goes to what's going on here with, with Kaylee. I, I didn't talk about this, but over the weekend, some people, some some of the, some big names, including someone affiliated with, with Fox News, who I, I won't name here, were taking some shots at Kaylee McEnany. Um, I, one of them is someone who I, again, won't name on the show, and he's, I've interviewed him before. Never, never found him, uh, never really enjoyed talking to the guy or anything else. Basically, he wrote one good book 15 years ago, and everything other than that has been pretty meh. Uh, but, you know, he was nasty about Kaylee, and uh, another Fox News person was nasty about Kaylee. And I, I just want to know, do, do they really think that a better way for the Trump administration to try to get its message out would be to sit there and just get food thrown at them, you know, just just let the just let them throw the tomatoes, you know, just throw those tomatoes and uh, whatever else they feel like at whoever the White House press secretary is. No, the, the, the libs don't know what to do here because Kaylee is hi- very intelligent, highly presentable. I say that, you know, with 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 the respect that I'm, you know, very respectfully, highly presentable. And uh, very adept at this, because like me, Kaylee was at CNN as a conservative who was meant to be a, you know, meant to be a punching bag. And they they decided that we were both less useful to them over time because wouldn't play that game. So I left and she left. We both we both chose to get the heck out of get the heck out of that place the same year. We we're both like, out, oh, we're out. That's been fun. So she knows all the games the libs play. And this uh, this question here about how many dead Americans, this is a trap question. How many dead Americans are accepted? No matter what she says, it's White House claims, you know, 150,000 is job well done. You know, White House claims 200,000 is job well done. This is a trap. It's a trap. We all know this. But people on the right come after her. And, and attack her on this, and they act like she's the problem. 
No, they're 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 playing games. This isn't an important question. This is a stupid. This is a gotcha question. So you can have people at MSNBC pat you on the head. Oh, good good little journalist. That's right. Attack Trump. Good little journalist. And Kaylee's like, no, I'm not going to deal with that. She's doing a phenomenal job. Look, and I, I, Sean Spicer was not not good in the role. That's obvious. He just wasn't up for it. Okay. And Sean's a nice enough guy. I've met him once or twice, but he he's not. He was not a good choice. The administration, Trump admits publicly um you know that that he, it was not a good choice uh that he's made a bunch of mistakes you know scare a mooch hey a mooch not a good choice uh and there are others as well that clearly you know i, I thought that sarah huckabee sanders was was v- solid and competent in the role i think that kaylee is a problem for the lib journos she's a problem they don't really know how to handle her uh, but to have people on our side go after this young uh, conservative Republican female uh, mom, wife, and, and from our own side, it's just, you know, but these people are desperate. The ones that criticize her, they're desperate for a return to what they think was the old order where they were in more prominent roles, where they were the people on the right who were not as bad as those other people on the right. You know, they'll play the game the way that we want. Of course, your overlords would always rather have you do as they say. So they'll give you a little pat on the head. They'll give you some scraps from the table, from the mainstream media, from the left wing dominated journalism establishment. You know, to take the Romney approach, take the John McCain approach, sell out your own side. Don't ever be a real political fighter for the right. And, uh, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, you're not that bad. You won't you won't be sitting at the big boy table at our fancy cocktail party, but we'll set up a, one of those little foldable tables by the kitchen for you. And maybe you can have, you know, the leftovers with the staff. That's what some of these people. That's what really is psychologically going on with them. I think it's very apparent. They liked the old way because they were elevated, even though they were. Doing so as a result of bending the knee. And uh, then we, we get to the, the article that I had mentioned that yesterday I brought up, hadn't got it before, in the Wall Street Journal. It tells you something that I got to say, look, this guy was the president of CBS News for like a year or two, and then also I think was the president of Fox News for a short period of time as well. But because of that, you know, his byline is going to get more credibility on this issue than other people's would. But I've been saying, as you know, that we are already in an environment of um, media. If you're smart, if you pay attention, you know that all media has a point of view. I always share mine with you. I always tell you what I think about things. And then I, I'm very, I, I try to be as rigorous as I can with the facts, because if I'm not giving you real facts, then you know, what's the point, right? But I give you facts, but I also tell you my opinions on things. Uh, other news establishments, you know, the New York Times is a lib rag. It is. The Washington Post is a left wing rag. You, I say this to you and, and you know this. And if you listen to this show or you watch the show, you're already aware of this. You know this. But remember, their audiences don't accept that. Their audiences think that they're getting the truth. Same thing at CNN. People who are, you know, a lot of the CNN audience is, you know, college educated and successful professionals. And they think that they're really sophisticated. Their understanding of the news and their ability to see things with clarity in the journalism establishment is childlike. They, they are not sophisticated at all in their understanding of what they're being presented. And 
that's part of the business model. That's what this editorial is saying. Don't expect, you know, people, I won't say who because it was a behind closed doors conversation with a media executive at a conservative outlet. That's all I will say. Not Fox at a conservative outlet. And the uh, the media executive told me that 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 he thought the way forward in conservative media was to reach out more to the left and have more centrist conversations and and do more old school, more old school news approach in that regard. And I looked at it and I was just like, you are out of your mind. I mean, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. And I don't even mean I don't like the idea. I mean, if you're trying to build a business, that's the exact wrong thing to do. Because what we have now is a, a fractured media environment where people are increasingly just playing to a specific audience within it, and the polarization is good for business. CNN knows. Jeff Zucker, that vicious little fraud, knows that they're an anti-Trump operation and that they've got all these people going on TV all repeating it. It's just boring, too. They're not even interesting. They're not even clever or funny or worth listening to. It's like a bunch of, uh, you know, glorified catalog models reading off of a prompter. And we're all supposed to say, oh, look at CNN, all the brilliant journalists. The people they have as analysts, too, are morons. Not all of them, most of them. Like three-quarters of the CNN analysts, politics, national security, total morons. Some of them are actually nice and pretty smart, but you don't see the nice, smart ones very often. I can tell you who they are. I mean, it should be fun. I'd sit here and just do a list. And I don't, look, I don't say this to be mean, but some truths need to be said. And these are truths that need to be said. People that are on CNN and, are, and MSNBC and are dumb and are pretending to be objective correspondents or whatever, they're, they're polluting the public discussion with lies and with hypocrisy. And so they need to be called out. But this, this editorial was just saying, the polarization is only going to get worse. So maybe we should just all adopt honesty as the policy. Maybe CNN and other places should say, yes, we, we share the Democratic Party's values. We are aligned on most policy issues with the DNC, but we promise to provide you with facts. And, and let me just say, if, if, if they would, would do that, I'd, I'd go on and I'd represent a conservative point of view. I mean, I'd go on the Bill Maher show. Bill Maher doesn't pretend to be objective. I mean, the show is rigged against the one conservative. You don't really get to talk very much. But, I, you know, at least there's an honesty there. Everyone knows what's going on. And from honesty, you can get greater truths. But if you start with dishonesty, then you're just putting more dishonesty on top of it. And that's what CNN and these other places do. So that's what the editorial was. The polarization is just going to get greater. And eventually we'll get to a point where I think it will be unsustainable to pretend that ABC News and CNN and NPR and the New York Times, the Washington Post are not explicitly and clearly and in everything from opinion to hard news to the culinary section doing the bidding of the left until you know we will reach a point where that will become the standard consensus belief it's coming it'll take a while but we're, we're heading there and there's no way we're going to go back to objective journalism because you know what it's always been a fraud you're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
I can absolutely do it if I want to, and I don't think I'm going to have to because it's starting to open up. We need our churches and our synagogues and our mosques. We want them open. Churches, synagogues, mosques, and other. We want them open, and we want them open as soon as possible. Now, I can tell you, I know a lot of pastors, a lot of rabbis, imams, and they, they want to take care of their people. They want to take care. They don't want anyone getting uh, hurt or, or sick. And they're going to take care of their people. We need, we need these people. We need, we need people that are going to be leading us in faith. And we're opening them up. And if I have to, I will override any governor that wants to play games. If they want to play games, that's okay. But we will win. This president has done so much. And, and I know that the, the left loves to ridicule him because he has not lived a, a chaste and an entirely virtuous life, which, I mean, you know, look, I haven't lived an entirely chaste and virtuous life. Maybe that'll have to go on the uh, late night, salty producer Buck and Mark drinking booze podcast. But I'm just saying, you know, no, no one is no one is perfect is a little bit maybe too simplistic. But, uh, you know, Trump. Uh, yeah, I know he's been married three times. The guy's not perfect. He's and he doesn't pretend to be. But that's you see. We, I can handle that in a public official. I can I can handle honesty. I don't I don't like hypocrisy, and the left loves to just trash uh, people of faith for their support of Trump. They like to act like, oh, why why would any of them support Trump when he's this you know billionaire playboy and the whole other thing? Well, no, they're not saying that they are raising their children to be like Trump in regards to his marriages. And look, people have challenges and problems and they make mistakes. And I think people learn from things and, you know, there's there's opportunity. You know, say what you will about Trump. And the guy does, you know, love his kids. He tries to be a good father. He's not he's not perfect. And no one's I see. There we go again. He's not that that slips in. You keep saying no one's perfect, of course. Uh, But those people of faith, those evangelicals and real Catholics, not lib social justice. Oh, let's be pro choice, but then also talk all the time about how we need to be open borders. Wait, what? What is this? Um, real Catholics and even which I could speak to and because I know who the real ones are and who the fakes are and evangelicals. I am not one, so I cannot speak to the realness or fakeness, but I can just say the evangelicals who uh, and Protestant uh, sects who viewed Trump as a a weapon for the faith uh, that they have, that someone who is willing to defend their freedom to practice their religion, they were right. Here Trump is stepping up and saying, hey, governors, back off this stuff against the churches and the mosques and the synagogues too. back off this stuff or else the DOJ is going to remind you of something called the Constitution You know, three days after Trump said open up churches, you know what happened in California? They opened up. You know what's happened here in parts of New York, too? New York City, churches, synagogues, mosques opening up. Trump gets results for people of faith. Doesn't just talk a game. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. That said, I do feel compelled to address the most recent one about my husband, Mark. My husband made a failed attempt at humor last week when checking in with the small business that helps with our boat and dock up north. 
knowing it wouldn't make a difference, he jokingly asked if marrying, if being married to me might move him up in the queue. Obviously, with the motorized boating prohibition in our early days of COVID-19, he thought it might get a laugh. It didn't. And to be honest, I wasn't laughing either when it was relayed to me because I knew how it would be perceived. He regrets it. I wish it wouldn't have happened. And that's really all we have to say about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, you know, Governor Whitmer, she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, no. He's not. Oh, go. Oh, gosh. He's just trying to be a funny man. Oh, God. No, 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 no. Sorry, Lib. Not get, not giving you the benefit of the doubt on this one. This is, uh, you know, Lockdown Whitmer up in Michigan who's saying, and here's the story behind this. A marina owner wrote on Facebook that the governor's husband, wow, Facebook really crushes people sometimes, doesn't it? Mark Mallory had asked its workers to get their nearby boat in the water before Memorial Day. This is according to the Detroit News. The vacation property that the governor and her husband own is about 25 minutes from Traverse City. The couple's main residence is in Lansing. And uh, here, you know, he basically said, would this move us up in the queue? You know, like, can this make us, because I'm the governor's husband, is this going to push things a bit faster for us? Um I'm sorry. I don't think uh, I don't think that's okay. You know, because she was saying you can't have your boat in the water before Memorial Day. And he's just saying, come on, put our boat in the water before Memorial Day. Does it help if my wife is the governor? Do you think that was a joke? Look, I'm going to say it could be it could be a joke. But I don't think that Whitmer really gets uh, the credit for this. Sorry, this is I'm just going to say it. I'm trying to pick out. If it sounded like I was a little bit out of it for a second there, producer Mark is probably worried I'm going to pass out from doing too much radio. Uh, but it, it's because it's a really the New York Post uh, has worded the story very poorly. It does not. It's not a well-written story at all. I'm just trying to get the, the details here um, about this. Oh, wait, but Whitmer's spokeswoman, Tiffany Brown, wouldn't confirm or deny these assertions by the Marina Company and said they would not address every rumor that is spread online. Oh, so at first they tried to... No, they lied. Okay, I'm, I went to the Detroit News. New York Post, come on, step up your game on this story. Not good. I went to the Detroit News here, and sure enough, uh, yeah. Yeah, this morning I was out working when the office called me. There was a gentleman on, on hold who wanted his boat in the water before the weekend. Being Memorial Weekend, the fact that we started working three weeks late means there's no chance this is going to happen. Well, our office personnel had explained this to the man, and he replied, I am the husband to the governor. Will this make a difference? <laughs> oh, he definitely did the, do you know who I am? And one thing I, one thing I can tell you, one thing I can tell you, my friends, um, I got to tell you, it's... Uh, it's uh, not a good thing to play the do you know who I am game unless the answer is going to be, you know, sir, yes, sir. I know who you are. I'm so sorry, sir. It's not a good idea. And that was what they went with here. Um, so, yep, it's true. And now they're saying it was a joke. Uh, and that was that. So, look, is it a big deal? Well, it's not that it's a big deal. It's that this is yet another instance of Libs telling you 
that you have to do one thing, you have to live life a certain way, and they want to use influence and access to live life a different way. Because remember, the governor's the one who said no boats in the water, uh-uh, not allowed. But her husband's like, come on, Memorial Day, I'm the, I'm the husband of the governor. Come on, put my boat in the water. Exactly. Exactly. This is like Bro Cuomo warning us all, hey, wear a mask when you're out. Yeah, that's what you need to do. And uh, make sure you quarantine, except if you want to see your second home, not your second of two homes, your second, meaning your third home that you are building in the Hamptons. Uh, Look, it pays well to do Zucker's bidding in the destruction of America, truth and justice. It pays well. So that's that's a good thing. That's helpful uh, for him, not for the rest of us. But uh, then there's also this Twitter post I wanted to tell you about from Donald Trump, where he gets uh, a a little with a little addition because Twitter labeled a, a a tweet he put out with a fact check saying that it is misleading. This is now what we're seeing now. Look, you know, before we all completely trash Twitter, I, I don't want to say this. Twitter was very helpful in Trump becoming president. Now, the libs didn't realize that because they forced us all onto social media platforms because they deny us access to traditional media platforms, with the only real exception being, you know, Fox News, which isn't even that traditional in the sense that it's a newcomer. It only started in 1996. These other media platforms, you know, ABC and CBS, they've been around for, you know, well, I don't know, going on. 70 years now or something like that. I mean, they've been around for very longer than that. If you look at their radio broadcasting days, but I mean, even as TV stations. So those are the true legacy media institutions. They've been around for a very long time. We don't we're pushed out of legacy media. And so conservatives are better at memes. Conservatives are better at online stuff. And so libs need to make sure they're always tilting the playing field toward them because, you know, we, we, we only have certain places where we can go. Well, you know, why has talk radio been the uh, the province of conservatism for as long as it has? And, you know, thank you, Rush Limbaugh, for being at the very forefront of that and, and opening up this field for the rest of us. Why is that the case? Well, because individual markets across the country went to talk radio because there was nowhere else for them to go to get this. So talk radio and then the Internet broke the left's monopoly on political media But now the social media platforms are being called upon to do things like this, where they're saying that they're going to mislabel or rather they're going to label things that are untrue. And they did this to Trump on mail in ballots. Trump uh, tweeted out a claim about mail in ballots, which was marked as misleading by Twitter. That's right. Now a social media platform is really just taking sides in a political fight, openly taking sides in a political fight. Um, and this is a problem. This is a problem because it shows us exactly what we've been saying all along. And now there's also someone who's Twitter's head of, I don't know, head of site integrity or something is a left wing resistance loon who here, here you go. Uh, this, this guy, this was on the, on the daily mail today. Who checks Twitter's POTUS fact checker biased head of Twitter's site integrity has previously called the president a quote, Racist tangerine, the administration Nazis, and compared Kellyanne Conway to Joseph Goebbels. Yoel Roth, official title of Twitter's head of site integrity, has put out all those horrible tweets. 
The libs dominate all these places. Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube. What is it going to take? Conservative billionaires, I'm here. Put me in charge. Write me a check. I'll build you a new platform, okay? And I'll, I'll do it, and I'll actually do this for conservatism. I'll actually want the biggest names, the best people on, and I'm not going to do what some people do. Give me a bunch of money so I can be prominent and famous, but I'm going to suppress everybody else. That's too, too common in conservatives. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the generation above sometimes wants to hold down the generation below here in conservative media. And some of them get a little, some get a little greedy and a little too self, self-involved. Uh, but we really need to build our own platform, or at least a platform of true political neutrality. We can do it. You know, stop writing checks to the ballet and to some boring think tank. Put, uh, Buck will run the conservative answer to Netflix. Just billionaires out there. Give me, give me, the, give me the, uh, the, the say-so. I'll do it for you. Because that's how we win. Otherwise, we're going to be up against this. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Team, I've got to introduce you to... An old friend of mine who has also joined me at Pluto TV's The First, Channel 248 on the Pluto TV app, if you have not seen it. She's now a contributor there, and she is also a Young Americans for Liberty analyst, the one and only Chris, and author and columnist, Kristen Tate, everybody. Kristen, good to have you. Great to be on the program, Buck. Thanks for having me. All right, let's start with how are things down? You're in Texas. You guys have reopened. What's it like? Bring me tales of of red state freedom. Well, interestingly, for the last two months, I was in Boston where my mom lives. They're still completely on lockdown. You can't even go to most stores. I finally uh, took a plane down here to Texas, and it's like being in a different world. Everything's open here. People are outside enjoying the weather. Um, You know, businesses still recommend wearing masks, and a lot of people do that just to be courteous to other people and business owners. But um, I would say it's a much less hostile environment up here. Things are kind of getting going again. And uh, our local businesses are finally allowed to start uh, doing what they do best and uh, providing services to our community and, most importantly, employing people. Now, you've also written a piece here at The Hill, where I used to work, Uh, And you are talking about what you think is going to happen in New York City. So having been in Boston and now be in Texas and writing about New York, what do you see in uh, in the future of the place where I'm currently sitting? Well, look, uh, my my most recent book is called The Liberal Invasion of Red State America. So the the blue state, blue city exodus is something that I have been following long before COVID. New York City was already losing residents in droves because of their tax environment and the high cost of living. So this COVID pandemic will only accelerate that trend. There are a lot of people who, uh, you know, left the city when the pandemic hit they're sitting in new jersey now or down in florida or in pennsylvania and they're saying why would i go back to new york i can work remotely Uh, my cost of living is lower and frankly uh, new york city is completely shut down a lot of the restaurants will go permanently out of business a lot of the stores will go permanently out of business if you can't enjoy the culture in new york what's the point of paying the high price to live there uh so so you know this has been an exodus that's been going on for quite some time uh but 
the COVID pandemic is going to accelerate those trends. And, you know, New York City will be a shell of its former self in a few years. And it's really sad because I still think New York City is arguably the best city in the world. But that's changing. What's going on there is a tragedy. And frankly, Buck, I don't know why anyone who is a tax-paying person would live there at this point. No offense. Now, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, producer Mark and I talk about, is it going to be Florida? Is it going to be Texas? You know, what's the next stop? Although we are on a wonderful station in Austin, Texas, KLBJ, and we have a great audience there, and I love hearing from them, and I've been promising them a visit for a long time. Austin sounds like a, a fantastic place to live, but to your point about the blue state exodus, I'm hearing from Texans the problem with Austin these days is there are too many Californians that want to tell the Texans how to live their lives, people that have left California and they tend to go to Austin. That's exactly right. So what's happening in Texas, so Texas is absorbing this record number of blue state expats, mostly from California, also quite a few from New York. All of those people, or the vast majority of them anyway, move to Texas's cities. So what's happening in Texas is really interesting. The cities are becoming far more blue. So you look at Houston, El Paso, San Antonio, Dallas, but especially Austin. They're becoming very, very left-leaning, more than they ever have been. But if you look at the more rural areas and even the suburban areas in Texas, in many cases, those places are becoming more red. So we're having a, you know this increasingly polarized environment within Texas. It's really a fascinating political animal. But unfortunately, just when you look at the state as a whole, it is absorbing more Democratic voters as a whole than Republican voters. So that's why you're seeing the state kind of gradually and slowly move to the left. Kristen Tate, everybody. She is a new analyst on The First on Pluto TV and also with Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, Kristen, how do you think we're going to do with the tax situation? I mean, you're, you're a tax expert. You wrote a whole book on it, right? How do I tax thee? Uh, how do you think we're going to handle this when you have all these different states now, particularly some of the, the mega blue states, you know, New York and California are going to be saying we want lots and lots of federal dollars. Um, what does this do to the environment, especially assuming that the administration doesn't give them every penny that they want? It feels like there's going to have to be a raise in taxation in a lot of places, and, and that's going to perhaps even exacerbate what you're talking about, the outflow from blue states to red. Yeah, it'll just further penalize those who have chosen to stay. Uh, but you're right, a lot of these uh, blue states are requesting massive federal bailouts for problems that existed way before COVID. I mean, you look at uh, Illinois, for example, they have a huge pension problem. They want, I think it's $80 billion from federal taxpayers. I mean, this is just a massive wealth transfer from uh, fiscally responsible states to fiscally irresponsible states. And frankly, giving a bailout like that, it just incentivizes incentivizes more wasteful, irresponsible spending. But there are a lot of small business owners as well who are starting to ask, why the heck am I in this, this blue state environment where they're taxing them to death? And during COVID, not letting them operate their business. I'll give you an example. My stepmom owns uh, three restaurants in the Boston area. She sells burritos at her restaurants. You know, low-cost burritos, they're $7 each. They've told her she can only do deliveries and takeouts. Well, it doesn't make 
sense to deliver $7 burritos. You're not going to make a profit on that. So she is just, you know, hobbling by on uh, takeout. Her business is down 80% from what it usually is. She just opened a new location before COVID. Now she has no idea how she's going to keep the lights on in her places. And she's one of many small business owners in this situation. Uh, whereas, you know, in a red state like Texas, most of our businesses are back up and running. So unfortunately, a lot of the great cities of this of this country are going to probably see a permanently closed stores and, and restaurants that have really made their community so vibrant over the years. It's really sad. And then, of course, all of these places employ uh, people who will lose their livelihoods as a result. And I know you're in the Houston area. How much just anecdotally or, you know, from what you're seeing, uh, what percentage of outdoor mask wearing would you say? I mean, in New York, I'd say it's over 90 percent of people outside are wearing masks. What is it in Houston? It's kind of funny, Buck. You can always tell who the liberals are here because they're the ones who are in the 95 degree heat in the sun by themselves in the park wearing a mask. I mean, most reasonable people do not wear masks when they're outside alone, you know, not in a crowd. It's not, it doesn't protect you, you know, when you're outdoors, especially. So most people are not wearing the masks when they're outside in the Texas heat and they're not in a crowd, but there are always those people who do. I will say though, in businesses, when you're inside, Texans have been really good about wearing the masks uh, just to be courteous. But I would say outdoors, most people aren't wearing the masks. You guys still have room down there? Producer Mark and I are thinking about real estate. So, you know, he's pushing he's pushing for Florida still. Understand I love Florida too. We got some great stations there. But uh, Texas is way better. You guys have to come to Texas. Better food, cooler people. Uh, everything's better about Texas. Producer Mark, do you have a question for me to ask Kristen about what life is like in Texas versus the Northeast? No, uh, no I don't. I, I like Florida. <laughs> he goes, no, I don't. I like Florida. Okay. All right. Kristen, Kristen Tate, everybody, Young Americans for Liberty analyst, and of course, a uh, now a contributor at The First. Kristen, thanks so much. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much, Buck. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for roll call. Time for roll call. Indeed, it is the roll call time. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Also, don't forget to check in on BuckSexton.com. Please add that to your bookmarks. And I'm in talks right now. I think this, if it's not this week, it'll be next week. But I got a plan for probably Friday, something to go up. But we're going to, I'm going to start to write for the website, exclusive column content for the website. So there you have it. Um, that's going to be exciting. Go to bucksexton.com for more of that. And it's also a place where you can listen to the podcast. Producer Mark pointed out to me, we had, I think, one of our strongest ever podcast download days just last week. So thank you so much for that. Um, And it really, really is meaningful. And it's a huge uh, benefit for us to have you spread the word. I mean, it really means a lot. And thank you for that. So, okay, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. 
or you can email us, teambucketiheartmedia.com. If you send it on an Instagram, just make sure you put your, your first name. You can even choose a pseudo, but I don't want it to be, you know, Boat Rider 972 says the following. So you got to put your, because some of you have, some, so many people have Instagram handles without their name or even their first name. I'm like, what's that all about? But anyway, I guess I don't understand things. Don't even get me on the TikTok right now. They do these little dance. You're you're not on TikTok, are you, producer Mark? Uh, I uh, I dabble in watching some TikToks. It's the fastest way to blow thirty minutes, oh, forty yeah. minutes of your time, and not even remember anything is to, is to just open up TikTok and start scrolling. You'll you'll blow. You're gonna sit there. It's like the Chinese. It's a Chinese-owned company have developed a system for us to just turn our turn our brains into mush. I think this is what this is. Oh yeah, I easily can spend an hour or two and just re- look at the clock and be like, oh my god. Look what time it is. Yeah. So there, there you go. And they have these little dances called shuffles where you learn step by step the steps. I might actually learn a step. Maybe I'll make my own TikTok one yeah, day. Go viral, please. Exactly. All right. Andrew's first up here. It may seem harsh to send Aunt Becky to prison, but she's brilliant to get in and serve ASAP. Think about it. Our prisons are releasing the real criminals in the streets across the country Right now, prisons are emptying out. Plus, there's nothing else to do right now with COVID-19. Be locked down in your house or in prison while prisoners aren't even there. What would a smart person choose right now? I mean, Andrew, I kind of see what you're saying. I would say that if you could have been in prison for the last two months, that would, because she got a two-month sentence, that would certainly be the best time that I could think of to have ever been in prison because you're not missing anything. No one's really able to do anything. You're not missing any great dinner parties or birthday parties or whatever. Aunt Becky seems to do, a.k.a. Lori Laughlin. Um, it's just it's crazy that they're sending her to prison for this. I uh, Look, pay a big fine, humiliation, all this. You're going to go to prison? Uh, you're going to take away your freedom, separate you from your kids? And the, the husband, Mark, I don't know, some Italian last name I can't remember, He's uh, he's going for like five or six months. That's a that's a pretty hefty sentence. Esther, hey, Buck, producer Mark, I don't consider myself an envious person, but I am today a one on one with President Trump. Really? I'm calling it. He's going to offer you a job in his administration when he wins in 2020. I've been telling my sister that for months. There is a frame of mind that common sense people share. I'll be on the edge of my seat waiting every show to hear more. It really makes me feel like there was a human connection between you and him. And now all your listeners get to feel that, too. Pretty cool. You should be very proud. I'm proud to know you all the way from St. George, Utah. Well, Esther, thank you so much for your uh, your support, your kind words and in your encouragement for, for me and producer Mark or producer Mark and me speak the King's English over here. Producer Mark and me, uh, we. We uh, try so hard to put on the best show we can every day. And the fact that it's uh, caught the president's attention that he wanted me to come down was uh, certainly a really nice. I don't know how how, it was. It was a cool thing. It was uh, worth worth the trip for sure. And uh, I posted the photo yesterday. For those of you who haven't seen it, the photo's up on social media. So you got to follow me on Instagram, Buck Sexton. Those of you listening to this, uh, that's a lot of you. I feel like are much more active on Facebook in this audience than Instagram. We got to get Instagram and Facebook owns Instagram. Got to get on Instagram too. got to use the gram. It's a good place. Uh, and yeah, that's where that's where we have it. So good things. And next up here, 
We have, it's okay, Snow Princess, you can come in. She's coming in during the show. That's all right, just don't make too much noise. We got, the, the real issue is that little Tallubaloo, uh, also known as Tallulah. I call her Tallubaloo just because I can't think of enough cutesy names for her. Uh, she, uh, she starts to make, she gets all excited, and then her little paws will run all over the floor and do all kinds of stuff like that when she has somebody in here. So that's all right. She'll, we'll, we'll keep her quiet. She's napping, which is what she does 90% of the day. Uh, let's see here. Next, we have in the roll call section of the show, Ryan Buck, congratulations on being called the White House. It's well-deserved. It's comforting to know that President Trump is aware of our point of view. Indeed. Look, the president's got my personal cell number now, so if he ever wants some Buck advice, you know, he can off the record, get it anytime he wants. Uh, I told him that, so, you know, he knows. And am I uh, of better wisdom and judgment than most of my fellow media conservatives? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say, yeah, I think that's true. Ryan. Oh, he already said those nice things. Two things. If BuckSexon.com is in your homepage, I don't know what you're doing with your life. No. It, uh, oh, oh, you mean I was like, it is my home. Of course, it's my home page. Yes, I agree with you, Ryan. And then number two, commie bear videos should be animated and on YouTube. I'm sure Team Buck has an animator in its rank shields high. Um, Ryan, I kind of love that idea and it would be great content for our YouTube channel. And I'm not going to tell you that we're not going to do that. I do all you guys a multi podcast. I just I have been so overwhelmed the last few weeks with the five hours a day of radio. Uh, and and I've got some good things that are happening here with. And we've updated our website. We're doing more there. I'm going to start writing a column. You know, I, I write a weekly column for Stansberry Research, which if you go to American Consequences, uh, their web magazine, I write a weekly column for them. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a busy, I'm a busy bee. I'm a busy bee. Get your busy bee. I still think Best in Show is one of the best comedies of all time. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call for your listening enjoyment. Rachel writes in, Hey, Buck, first Mark is right about Marvel movies and hockey, although I prefer college hockey over NHL. Producer Mark, do you want to weigh in on that? College hockey is great, but oh. it does not beat the NHL. See, see I and very interesting. You're, you're, you're such a hockey purist and one who appreciates the sport so much because even in my avid NBA watching days when I was a teenager, when I did watch a lot of the New York Knicks uh, playing basketball, uh, which was what you'd watch the Knicks. Okay, that's clear. But even in those days, uh, I always thought that college basketball, because I went to a tiny D3 college where nobody was very good at any sport, um, I didn't understand the appeal of college basketball at all. It felt like watching. It's like if you're in high school and you're going to go out, do you want to watch the varsity or the JV? It always felt like college basketball to me was JV, but I know that is heresy in like 80 percent of the country heresy so yeah i mean college basketball the fact that the ncaa tournament didn't happen this year is just heartbreaking for so many people yeah people love college basketball i do too i don't watch it all year round but once the tournament comes it's amazing yeah man you know what producer mark on your rec when it comes back next year because i think we all have a different sense of appreciation for these things than perhaps we used to uh, when it comes back, I will I will watch my first March Madness next year. Just, you know, because we got to return 
to normalcy and i've i've never i'll be i've never watched march madness so i don't even know what i'm talking about so there we go we'll even get you to fill out a bracket i will do a bracket i've never hmm, i'll do a bracket i've never never done a bracket before that'd be kind of an interesting experience uh here in north dakota rachel writes we've been extremely lucky with low numbers of covid cases with most deaths coming from the older age groups in mid-February, a Fargo, North Dakota landlord attempted to barricade in residents of an apartment after they self-reported contact with a positive case. Within 20 minutes, the landlord was putting a zippered tarp over their door and threatening unknown fines for breaking quarantine. Ultimately, no resident of the apartment tested positive, but the landlord has no authority to lock someone in an apartment and is probably in violation of HIPAA by releasing their location and health status. I wouldn't have expected this here, but many have accepted socialism with barely a blink. Longtime podcast listener. Keep your shield high and continue the awesome work in NYC. Thank you, Rachel. I have not heard anything about that case in Fargo, North Dakota. So that's crazy. I, I, I'm just got to take what you write here as what the story is. I don't know anything about it. I do know that Fargo. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't you know? Oh, gosh. It's a pretty intense movie. I mean, they actually feed a guy into a wood chipper at the end. Oh, gosh. It's messy. So I remember that. You, you ever see Fargo? I have not. I've heard great things, though. I'm going to have to watch People it. really like it. Yeah, I was kind of... I mean, I barely remember it. I remember the wood chipper. Other than that, I'm kind of bland the whole thing. Uh, not that that was a good part of it. I just... That's the part that stuck in my mind because it was horrific. JP, just saw the picture of you and President Trump on Facebook. Excellent hair, Buck. Very fantastic. Listen to your show on Apple Podcast in South Louisiana. Shields high. Love listening. JP, thank you so much, man. Yeah, that's right. You guys remember, you can listen to podcasts anytime. Uh, you can listen anytime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, if you're a Spotify user, the iHeartRadio app, which as producer Mark reminds me, it's important because that is the company we work for, iHeartRadio. So that's good. Um, and is there anywhere else that a lot of people listen to the podcast? BuckSexon.com. We have the podcast up there. Anywhere else? Anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, the Google Play Store for those Android uh, users. I believe that's what they use. Does anyone have any? I've, like, I haven't even met a person who has uh, People this, are loyal to them. The people who have them are very loyal to them. I mean, this is like someone who's a, who's a, a de Blasio voter. Like, I've never met this person who has an Android. I'm not oh. saying they're right or wrong. I just don't even know. I know people. Like, I have friends that have them, and we don't put them in group chats because we refuse to do the green texts. Ah. Yeah. Wait, so that means with an Android, someone knows if you've seen their text? No, no, no. You, so when you're texting an iPhone, it comes up as blue. Right. That's an iMessage. But when you're right. texting a non-iPhone, it comes up as green, and it oh. goes through your cell service, which is a big pain in the butt. I was unaware of that. Hmm, interesting. Dan, in the subject line, producer Mark is the sexiest man alive. Dan's a smart fellow. I live here in D.C., Foggy Bottom, but came up to New Jersey in late March to be with my parents under quarantine and have been here since. A lot of people I know on the left are from both areas are very fed up with this lockdown, much more so here in New Jersey. Seems a bit more genteel in the district, but still frustrated nonetheless. And from the chatter I hear, it seems there may be a red wave brewing in November. Thoughts? Dan, I would love for there to be a red wave brewing in November, but way too early to know. And, and this is going to be this is going to be an ugly election. I mean, the, the fact you really should take the fact that they even put forward Joe Biden as a possible candidate as just further evidence of how ugly it's going to be, because this guy is a is an utter nincompoop. 
and yet they think that he's going to win the presidency of the United States, Joe Biden? Joe Biden's like a third-tier member of Congress. I mean, I know he's been in the Senate forever, but this is not a guy who's impressive at anything. And that's the best. Well, no, they're going to they're going to just make you they're going to stuff it down your throats that you have to vote for Joe Biden. They're going to make you do it if they can. It's just so that's why I can't a red wave. Who knows? The, the media is also, unfortunately, still very, very powerful. Um, they I, I wish I could tell you that they no longer have the ability to sway people, but they certainly do. And they're going to put the economic problems and they're going to put the uh, all the all the challenges right now in this country from COVID-19 squarely on Trump's shoulders. It's going to be all about Trump. I mean, they're going to make it sound like Trump had a little beaker and a Bunsen burner and a white lab coat on with his big swoop of blonde hair uh, creating the virus down at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, that's more or less going to be the perception they try to drive home for you. Trump's like, it's the very dangerous, most dangerous virus. I can't do it. I, I, look, I can pull off it. I can pull off pretty good mimicry for people that I, I don't have Trump yet. I maybe I can't do it because I love the man too much. You know, maybe I'm just too MAGA to do a good Trump impersonation. When I even try it, it just just falls apart. Everyone else I can do pretty well. Can't do Trump yet. Can't do it. Maybe after he's president. Amy from uh, Colorado. Uh, here we go. From Team Buck, Colorado. I mean this sincerely. I feel about you the way I feel about Rush, a member of my family. I can't think of a higher compliment for a radio host. Keep up the excellent work and shields high. Also, I think of producer Mark as Bo Snurdly. Well, Amy, that's the highest compliment you can give us in this business. You know, I'm I know Snurdly personally. Uh, I've known him pretty, pretty well over the years. You know, we correspond occasionally. I just check in on him, see how he's doing. He's a great guy. And I've never met Rush. Uh, I've filled in for him many times on radio, as you know. But Rush is the, the greatest radio host uh, of my lifetime. So and that's what bigger testament can you give to his skills and his ability and, and the influence he's had than that? But for you to even uh, think of producer Mark and I as, you know, in that same on that same playing field, never mind. I mean, you know, if Rush and, and Snurdly are the uh, are the superstars, they're on the dream team. You know, if we're just coming off the bench to help them out, that's a very, very high compliment. And, and we appreciate that. Mark, have you ever met uh, Mr. Snurdly? I have not. He's a very good dude. He, he, he's uh, a sports fanatic. So you guys would have a lot to talk about. He lives in Florida down with Rush, right? Yeah, yeah, he lives yes. down in Florida. But he's up in New York a fair amount. I didn't know if working for uh, iHeart you'd ever cross paths with him. But he, he's a great guy. And he, look, he worked with me on radio. He made me a better, Mr. Snurdly made me a better radio host. Sat down with me. We went over things for my early Rush fill-ins. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I owe him a debt of gratitude. Sue, hey, Bucket Producer Mark, thanks for what you do so well. Please stay on the nursing home COVID-19 scandal. Governors of New York and New Jersey are both trying to escape blame for their murderous March directives, forcing nursing homes to accept positive patients. Both websites have removed those directives, and Governor Cuomo insists he was following federal guidelines. He was not. Sue, you know I'm on it. I'm not going to let this go. And I don't care if other conservatives are going weak on on Cuomo on this one uh, or on Cuomo in general. I'm staying on it. Team, make sure you tell someone, pass the buck. You tell someone to listen to the Buck Sexton Show Uh, Send them the link. Text them the link. We told you the platforms. We'll be back tomorrow. Shields high.